0: Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio episode number 205. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here to talk about 1996's D3. The Mighty Ducks. They were really getting lazy with the names of these sequels by the time we got to the third. Wasn't the only thing that was lazy about the third, but we're (laughs) going to get into more of that later. Um, Had you seen this movie? You're such a fan of the second one. Had you seen this movie prior to sitting to discuss it this week?
1: I don't know. (laughs) I should know. Um because if I had seen it, I had only seen it once. Yeah. Because I didn't remember squat except for Dean Portman stripping in the penalty box. Yes, I really did say that. Mr. Idina Menzel stripping in a penalty box. Um, <laughs> so that I remember, but nothing about the plot, nothing about anything. So I'm wondering like, if I just caught maybe the end of it and thought I had seen the whole thing. Because th- there was a lot here that was surprising to me. I remember... My grandmother
0: had rented my brother and I this videotape when it came out. We did not see it in the movies because I remember seeing the trailers for it and at the age of, you know, nine, because it was just shy of my 10th birthday that this movie came out. As a nine-year-old, I remember seeing the trailer thinking, this doesn't look all that good, so I waited until it came out on VHS. I watched half of it, said, I don't like this movie, and I shut it off. I didn't see the entirety of this film until maybe oh, let's see, what year is it? Maybe ten or eleven years ago. I was doing overnights at BLI. That was the that was the one and only time prior to sitting to watch it for this show that I had seen this movie from start to finish because it was on Netflix.
1: Okay, so you were, like, bored out of your mind working an overnight, and that's what made you finally do it.
0: Yeah, one of those, like, 2.30 in the morning. I cannot watch the same reruns of Hardcore Pawn or Chelsea lately, so I just need something that'll hold my attention. And, like, there were no West Coast baseball games or hockey games. It was way too late for any of that. So I just dug into D3 for the first time in a long time because I just wanted to see if it was as bad as I remember remembered it.
1: I bet it woke you right up though. Oh,
0: woke me right up. <laughs> the question is, upon this rewatch, has my opinion changed since 1996? Has it changed since 2011? That is what we are here to discuss today.
1: This episode is sponsored by the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. Products include Disney and Pixar-inspired 3D straw charms, ornaments, and personalized photo nightlights. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Visit Hidden Mickey Supply Co. on Instagram and Etsy to stay up to date on all of the new releases.
0: The Ducks have all been uh, awarded scholarships at Eden Hall to play hockey and are heartbroken to learn that Gordon will no longer be their coach, Charlie especially. The varsity team does not give the new JV Ducks a warm welcome and inform the Ducks of a plan to have their scholarships revoked. The Ducks fail to fit in at school and butt heads with Coach O'Ryan, who wants to turn the Ducks into Warriors, the moniker at the school, and show them how to play defense things are only made worse when he won't commit to a captain, tells the Ducks to avoid the varsity team, and promotes Adam to varsity. Varsity makes it impossible to ignore them as they do nothing but torture the JV Ducks. At their first game, the Ducks blow a nine-goal lead, and the game ends in a tie, which causes a rift with Charlie and the rest of the team, including Coach O'Ryan. The varsity team invites the JV team to dinner, claiming it to be a tradition. However, they ditch them with the near $900 dinner bill, unbeknownst to Adam the Ducks prank them back which leads to a showdown game between the two which turns into an all-out brawl much to the dismay of Orion who makes the Ducks remove their jerseys but Charlie refuses as does Fulton and they are efficiently and effectively cut from the team Charlie's uh, then goes and visits with Hans who tells Charlie that he should go back to school and go back to playing hockey, or at least he tries to. But instead, Charlie and Fulton cut class while the rest remain at Eden Hall. Fulton decides to go back to Eden Hall, leaving Charlie alone to learn that Hans has died. At the funeral, the Ducks are reunited with Gordon. Gordon takes Charlie to the ice rink where the Warriors play to show him that Orion left his gig in the NHL because he was playing for the North Stars and did not want to move to Dallas so that he could stay with his daughter in Minnesota after she was injured in a car accident such that she did not have to change her doctors. He convinces Charlie to go back to school and work it out with his team. The dean tells the Ducks that they will be losing their scholarships, but Orion pushes back and effectively and essentially loses his job over it. At a board meeting... Gordon represents the Ducks as their lawyer and threatens to sue the school so the Ducks are reinstated. The Ducks prepare to play the varsity team again, and Bombay travels to Chicago to recruit Portman to join the school because up to this point, he has not left Chicago after learning that Bombay was no longer going to be the coach. Orion brings back the Ducks jerseys as they play the varsity Warriors. The Warriors play dirty, but the Ducks keep them off the board as they go into the third period. Portman joins the team for the third period... ...and gives the Ducks life... ...and strips in the penalty box... ...as you hey. mentioned before... ...because we definitely haven't seen that... ...in another hockey movie. Not No, we definitely have not seen that. The Ducks go shorthanded five on three... ...and Orion tells Charlie to win the game... ...and puts the C back on his chest. With ten seconds left... ...Charlie passes the puck to Goldberg... ...who now plays defense who scores the game-winning goal. Eden Hall then renames the team the Ducks instead of the Warriors because apparently that's what you do. Um,
1: I'd like to start off slightly unconventional here. Okay,
0: yes, <laughs> why not? <laughs> You sound like the screenwriters. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> well, I didn't want to give too much away, but you said it. Uh, and I do think this is going to come into play as we're breaking it down. I-, I think the filmmakers did a really good job here of capitalizing on their actors because they gunned out and the popularity of the franchise. really. Right, That's right. what it comes down to. They gunned out these movies every two years starting from the first one it was 92 94 and this is 96 um and I get it because you know at this point these child actors are growing up they're gonna be looking to pursue other projects that are more their age um you also don't especially around this age once they're hitting puberty they're going to start looking much more mature and if you want them to play freshman in high school you're going to lose that um so I understand why they followed it up and, and rounded out the trilogy immediately. But my question is, and I think that's going to be a big part of this review, do you think they should have waited a beat and done a little bit more of a time jump? Do you think that this was effective to telling the story by trying to keep them younger?
0: Here's the thing. Like, if you held them any longer, you're just going to put them into college hockey. And the college hockey program or juniors in Canada, which they do mention in this film, mm-hmm. they're not going to take an entire team. Here's the thing. The prep school's not going to take an entire team either.
1: That's kind of where I'm going, yeah.
0: But it it's more believable that the prep school will take an entire team and throw away their entire recruiting class before a college or a junior team is going to do it. Right. It's ridiculous one way or the other. Frankly... I forgot, and I think I even stated the wrong thing in last week's show when talking about this film. I do not remember the entire team being there. That's the thing. I thought it was just a few of them with new players because it justifies logic and reason that a school would recruit an entire single team to fill out their roster.
1: Right, or if they had just reverted back to the original Ducks and no one else that had come along when they played the Goodwill games. Correct. Which I, I think I would buy slightly more because these kids are all in Minnesota, as is this prep school. Right. Julie Gaffney had an issue with leaving Bangor, Maine to show the world what she could do, and now she's going to leave and go to Minnesota?
0: Right, but Dean Portman's not going to leave Chicago.
1: And fall on the Bombay sword. Yeah, I. We talked about it comparing D2 to D1 that they did, for the most part, a really good job covering up these gaps with one liners. Yeah. Uh, there were one or two that didn't work and they sort of wrote themselves into a corner. But for as much as they tried to do it here, they couldn't write themselves out of it.
0: For sure. All right, you want to start, like, actually breaking down the film here?
1: Yes. Um, What I do like as far as continuity is that when it's been Gordon's story arc, they always flash to his mentor, which was his father. And, you know, these moments where his father was encouraging him to skate and obviously was very supportive of his career. So now... Really, Charlie is our central focus of this film, and they start off the beginning to flashing to his mentor, which is Bombay. So I really like that as much as you had beef with the opening credits in the first one, I like that that's carried through, and they're very much passing the baton here.
0: They are. And Casey's back. Um, oh. Where, where, where's where's the stepfather? He's not there. Not that we necessarily need to see him, but it's, it's an example of more writing that kind of does not make sense. And it seems like it was a story that kind of went nowhere. I can live without having to see him, but it would have been nice to, like, I don't know, see just background actor number one standing next to her with, like, his hand on her shoulder, like, clapping for Charlie. He did not even need to speak. We just need to see him.
1: I have less of an issue with that and more of an issue that she is back now and... After not seeing her once in D2 and after being so supportive of Charlie's career that she wouldn't support him in in, in such a huge game. Um, what I was thinking about, though, this week, because they brought her back into play, I will sort of by the notion that because she's a single parent even though she did remarry she's still working at a diner and the time that she would have had to take off and the travel expenses maybe was not in her best interest um, and that she is working to support Charlie's hockey endeavors, so maybe that's why she didn't go. But I would have found it way more interesting if they had leaned into that and spelled that out and fleshed her out a little bit more, especially that you bothered to bring her back right? and give us an explanation as to why she was not in Los Angeles with him, but she's at this prep school now. I mean, it's still a big moment. He's still getting a scholarship. She wants to be there to cheer him on, but... Just just give us a little something here.
0: Yeah, I mean, in reality, what did she have? Six or seven lines in this entire movie, maybe? Yeah. It wasn't an awful lot. But she's back, um, and immediately you start with drama between Charlie and Gordon, which to me makes no sense. Yes. Because Charlie has to know that when they get these scholarships to go to this prep school that there is an entire athletic department. There's an entire coaching staff. Well, no, first off, there's not an entire coaching staff. There's one coach. This is the other thing that defies logic. In every single one of these films, the Pee Wee, okay, I kind of get it. The Junior Goodwill Games, okay, no, you'd figure there'd be a a goaltending coach, maybe a trainer or a conditioning coach, There isn't, all right, whatever. It's Bombay and it's coach, quote-unquote, Coach McKay. By the time you get to this level, there are coaches upon coaches with more coaches. No, there is just one coach, and it's Orion. But Charlie has to know that Gordon is not going to be the coach anymore, and the fact that he can't, number one, accept it, even though he's agreed to this scholarship. And he also holds it against Gordon for taking a job to run the hockey for the Junior Goodwill Games and not not recognizing that he's got this insane opportunity that he's willing to take and that he he recognizes that he should take, but he doesn't show the same res- respect to Gordon. It
1: just seems so uncharacteristic of Charlie. I'm glad you bring this up because I also took a note. The first of very, very This is actually record-setting notes for me. I have like six pages. I'm not even kidding. Um, oh, man. <laughs> small, I use a smaller notebook. It's not a full 8 by 11 but this is still a record number of notes. But, yeah, I was definitely bumping on this, too. I can appreciate that, keeping to the reality of it, Bombay is not going to continue to be their coach. They're just going to inherit whoever they have At this prep school. Right. Um, Keeping the ducks together with the scholarship is already forced enough. So I think had you figured out a way to weave Gordon in there too, it would have been too perfect. He's not like Mr. Feeney that miraculously teaches every single grade and grows up with the kids. We can all forgive that. Mr. Feeney is just an American treasure. I'm not not hating it all. Um, But I feel like that would have just been far too forced if they kept Bombay as well. Uh, But I agree with you. Um, Charlie should be more understanding and recognizing not only what a great opportunity this is for Gordon, but being that Gordon has been such a father figure to him, their relationship goes way beyond a close-knit coach and player, especially when you factor in that he did date his mom. Charlie should be so much more supportive. And the interesting thing is, As he's getting all angry, and I know a little bit of that is teen angst, to me he sounded so much like Jesse. Yes. Who, by the way, we get no explanation as to where he went. They cover Portman, but likely because they're going to bring him back. But we never find out what happens to Jesse, and they would have benefited so much from from giving us that information because Jesse's father was so gung-ho about them playing hockey, and especially now that they have a scholarship now to do it. Jesse should have been the first one. Jesse should have been the driving force that got them into this prep school, you know? Yeah. So I'm wondering if because they couldn't get the actor back, um, rather than recast, they just wrote out the character, but they gave Charlie some of those lines. Because, as you said, this is so uncharacteristic for Charlie, but there is a POV here that would have been very realistic.
0: For sure, and you're right, we don't get any explanation as to where he went. I mean, we got Dwayne back, you know, we got literally... Yeehaw. Yeehaw, we got all of them back, but not an original actor from the first film that carried over to the second with, you're right, absolutely no explanation as to where he was.
1: Another player that we don't really have an explanation for is Goldberg. Forget the fact that his parents stayed in Minnesota to open up a delicatessen. I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but they are giving him this arc of, he doesn't want to be backup goalie to Julie. He wants to be the main show. He wants to be the goalie yeah. in the words of the dentist. Um, so I will sort of buy the notion that, okay, I'm I'm not going to be your backup. I'm going to be my own person and they're going to make him a defensive player. I think that all makes sense, especially because of his stature but they start to sprinkle that in when the ducks are going to make the appearance uh when they're being introduced to the prep school there's a right. big assembly and oddly the players that were added in in the second film to the to the uh team USA yeah are already there in the audience yeah so they have their ogs They don't even do the classic roundup with the Quacker. If you're going to lean so far back into the first film in this Bond, I'm really surprised that we didn't see the Quacker. But you have the original Ducks skating and all of a sudden Goldberg can't skate because he's a goalie. You have to be able to skate out to the net at the very least and be agile on your feet in said skates. To to ten goal. So why all of a sudden can you not stand up on rollerblades?
0: Honestly, that entire opening. S- well, it's not even the opening scene. It's it's the scene as they find their way to the assembly. First off, you're right. Why some of them are there but not all of them makes no sense. Why they're running late makes no sense. But that entire scene where they come crashing through the the stage and they're flying down that hill and the dog is chasing them that slapstick by even 90 standards yes. it's really really just dumb like that's the thing like I hate to I hate to just crap on it like that but that's a fact of the matter it's just dumb
1: and that's what I'm saying if it were a callback to the first one or even the beginning of the second one we're putting the band back together I would have been like okay I get what they're trying to do for the nostalgia this is just completely uncalled for. Put them in a mall. No dogs. Yeah. My big
0: question, too, is why does Varsity care so much about the JV Ducks? I know that I, I don't. Here's the thing. He's so irrelevant. I don't even know his name. Uh, the captain of the Varsity squad yeah. has a one off line of my brother had a scholarship. Yeah, okay, a lot of people's brothers had scholarships. But the fact of the matter is, you as the varsity team, these kids, because they're JV, they're freshmen, they are of no threat to you. By the time they're good enough to play varsity, aside from Adam Banks, you're going to be graduated and gone. So the JV squad should mean absolutely nothing to you.
1: I'm glad you bring that up because I think this is where it becomes a question of would this film have benefited more from a time jump because realistically, even though all of these kids played really well together, you're not going to take on an entire team and have them dominate a league. Um, And that also sort of defeats the purpose of playing hockey for a school and learning to play at this level because you know, you can play with these kids. Part of it is learning to work as a team And play with people that you maybe don't get along with. And we have sort of seen that conflict with the Ducks and Team USA before. But they've always squashed it very quickly. And that is a testament to Gordon's coaching because that was always his first plan of attack is get them to work as one when he ties them all together. Um, But it is a big part of not only their curriculum, but the growing pain story that they are trying to tell here. And that's where they maybe would have benefit from having the Ducks as we know them, or Team USA, all of these kids. I'm not talking about the original Ducks. I'm talking about the entire cast, having them pit against each other. But that's not the route they chose. Instead, they chose to keep them together. So they do try and address it. I don't know that they took the scholarship of the, the varsity guy's younger brother. I thought he said they took his spot. So... I like that they at least tried to raise the stakes where it's not just this upperclassman bullying a bunch of freshmen, that there's a personal stake in it. I think it would have been better if we had actually seen this brother and maybe the fallout from what he's doing, not playing hockey, um, or the brother was also picking on the Ducks. But it, it's a, a throwaway line that doesn't really go anywhere.
0: Right because you're talking about one player out of 20. What is the animosity that the rest of them have against the ducks? Right. It, they, this is like you could be upset that your friend, your teammate, your captain, that his little brother isn't gonna be a warrior this year, but it's not enough of a vested interest for you to hate a team that represented your country and succeeded. That's the other thing. Was your brother so good that he was a member of Team USA? A championship member of Team USA? No. And for these varsity kids that are obsessed with being the best and basically saying that if you don't play to our standards, you don't belong? I mean, technically speaking, your brother doesn't play to that standard either because, well, they represented their country and won gold and... Um, your brother was probably at home playing Nintendo, so it's just immediately negates everything that they are about.
1: And and this brother, what was he going to be the only player on the team Yes. Because he's the only one who lost a spot? Yes, you don't have a junior varsity team other than this this one kid. So what were they going to do without the, the ducks? And to your point, where's their school spirit? Wouldn't you be stoked to have this team playing and representing your school? You shouldn't care one way or the other because
0: it has no adverse effect on your life. You know what I'm saying? Like, you could be excited, but, like, you shouldn't care one way or the other. Now, here's the thing. I could understand if they turned around and, and they wrote in a storyline where they were jealous that they weren't getting the attention anymore. All of a sudden now, JV is getting all of the attention because they're Team USA. I buy that more than... All of this other nonsense with a little brother who has no
1: face. Or that's the whole story is that it's one team. There's no varsity in JV. Yes. And you have taken spots of some established players. And now, you know, I'm I'm a senior and Adam Banks took my spot. And now the college scouts are skipping over me. What am I going to do? Then then I would really buy this animosity.
0: Here's the thing. Let me just get this out of the way. The fact is that we are grasping at so many different straws to try and weave a better story out of this means that this movie's unnecessary and we didn't need another sequel.
1: And we're barely even getting started. I've got like 10 more collapses in here. Oh, yeah. Um, so before we meet the new JV coach, uh, the Ducks take the ice and we do have at least one callback to the cattle roundup. And that is what we chose instead of the quacker roundup. Okay, whatever. It was a good bit in the second one. I don't hate it. I don't love it. What I do take issue with is that now we're two years later. They've they've won this championship at the Goodwill Games. They are so bonded, especially when we leave them at the campfire in the second one. Right. And the most development that we've had with the two females on the team is that Julie, I'm sorry, Connie is hanging on to Julie during the skate. They don't say two words to each other through the rest of this film. There's no bond, and how could they? Because they don't have their own separate female locker room, so there's no girl talk in there. They're all just in one locker room, which is never going to fly at any school. Maybe now, I don't know, but it certainly didn't in 1996. I mean,
0: three schools, three films in, and we still don't have a separate locker room for Connie.
1: But, like, regardless... There was so much potential for a strong storyline with the two of them and now navigating high school and guys together because, to my knowledge, Connie's single because Guy in three movies still hasn't done anything. So you really miss the mark in this one. And especially, you're talking about 1996. Spice Girls are at their peak. It was all about girl power, baby. And you didn't do anything with that? Are you kidding? I love that Charlie
0: loves the Ducks so much, but they're not the Ducks anymore. That's the thing like you're you're a warrior. You are playing for a prep school who has their own moniker. This whole thing of well why can't we just be the Ducks? Well, because if you went and played college hockey or if you went and played juniors like you suggest later on, In the film, if the Brampton Battalion brings you on to play, are you going to go to their coach and say, you're not Bombay, but can we be the Brampton Ducks now because I'm here? You know what I'm saying? Like, I I love that he has the spirit of the thing, but the fact that you've kind of dumbed this character down into not understanding why they can't wear Ducks jerseys anymore, it just seems like a tremendous step back on top of multiple steps back that you have written for this character.
1: I'm actually going to disagree because I like this arc for him that he is still so loyal to the team. He has to learn that he's not always going to be with them. If they go on to a careers in the NHL, they might one day be playing against each other. So I actually appreciate that. Like these are Charlie's growing pains. Um, What it does go against, however, is that they do cater to this need to wear the Ducks jersey because they did it in the second one and they became the USA Ducks. Um, So that is part of the unrealistic nature of these films that you're only as good as the name on your jersey. And that's the lesson that Charlie should be learning is that you don't have to be wearing the Ducks jersey to still play as a unit and to have pride in your team. You know, he's always had pride in the team. That's why he's the captain. Well, not anymore. C is just for Charlie. But um, they did cater to that in the second one. So I guess you could argue that he expects that to be done now. And it's like, you took our entire team because you wanted us as players. We are the Ducks. So, you know maybe it would have been more realistic if he pushed to practice in the jerseys and be like i know we're the warriors now but like this is what we're used to if they if they were maybe coming in like with a little uh a little moxie because they've just won and now they expect everybody to cater to them i'd buy that more Um, But I actually I like this. I like that he's still sort of stuck in the past that he's I I think it leans into the notion that he's feeling kind of lost without Gordon. Um, I think it's a good conflict that he has to learn to play two way hockey now, because if you think about it, that is sort of a shot at the first two films, because all of their goals are trick shots we've never really seen the ducks play defense so I actually think that's a very natural progression and I really like what they did with the position shakeups.
0: and I like the introduction to Orion um, I I get it from his perspective because Orion's ski calls them out like that stuff may have worked in peewees um, but it's not going to work here but it did work at the junior goodwill games um, and and by for all intents and purposes all of those players because they're representing their countries and they're the best in the nation or all better than these prep school kids anyway. But um, let's suspend reality. Fancy that idea. Um, I I get it though. I, I understand what he's trying to say and that defense wins championships and you can't just skate around everybody and he's not wrong. And I also like the fact that he is trying to kind of insert his way into the lineup because from the minute he meets all of them, There is immediate pushback from all of them because he is not Gordon Bombay. So he really has no choice but to be very assertive with his new team.
1: And I think that he knows that, and he knows he's not going to win them over by being the nice guy. So I think he was just all about, I have to earn their respect First, and I'm going to do that by pushing them as hard as I possibly can. And I, I think that was a smart choice. They make him pretty rough around the edges without going too far. It, it's not like uh, the dentist is coaching them now, you know?
0: Right. Um. But then he tells them, make sure you stay away from the varsity because... He never explains why, in the beginning, he wants them to avoid the varsity team. He also does not ever stand up for them when it comes to how the varsity treats them. Right. This is the thing. It, like, the dean wants them there because they represented their country in one gold. Have I mentioned that? But literally everybody else hates them. I'm not even sure that Orion really likes them very much. So it's, like, every person in the school the varsity team hates them, the cheerleaders hate them, their their fellow students hate them, the administrators hate them. I don't think their coach likes them very much. It just defies reason that they would even be there to begin with.
1: Right, like if you're a fan of hockey, wouldn't you be so blown away that you get to be in their company? I, I think that would have been more realistic Is like, you know... They're a little bit starstruck by having these... And, you know, these kids are just trying to have, like, a normal day at school now, and they're not getting left alone. Well, this
0: is the other thing. It's not like this is a prep school outside of Minnesota. The, the point of this school is to recruit the best hockey players that they can who live in Minnesota. Which is what they did. Which is the exact thing that they did. So... The publicity alone should have the entire administration behind it. But, I mean, you literally accomplished your ultimate goal, which was recruit the best athletes from the state of Minnesota to play at your prep schools. You did what you were supposed to do.
1: Right. And they take enough of a shot at that when... Charlie starts becoming interested in this girl and she's not into hockey. She has no idea who they even are. So you do get that storyline of the Ducks being humbled as well. But not every single person that they encounter needs to humble them.
0: Right. Except for Hans. Because now Hans is back. And he is wise. And he talks to Charlie. And, you know, like, Hans is really the only one that can get through to Charlie, and Charlie is kind of the mouthpiece for the Ducks. So I like that they inserted him here because without Gordon around, the Ducks just have no allies whatsoever.
1: Right. While we're at it, do we get any explanation of what happens to Jan? Nope. I mean, I know eventually we do in Game Changer, and I'm glad they covered it there, but... I think we would have benefit from finding out why they got switched again here and now.
0: No, they just overlooked it.
1: I mean, we know what happens to the actor, unfortunately, and I'm happy to see Hans back, but it's still (laughs) just so odd that they are interchanging them.
0: Yeah. Um, All right, so now Orion has his second practice with the Ducks, and Goldberg shows just how below average he is because, as he says, the ducks don't really practice. Great. So Julie is named the starter, and Goldberg, instead of trying to play better, just decides he's going to feed Julie junk food so that she plays worse.
1: Because that's easier than him dropping a few pounds is to make her gain a few. Um, No, just no. There is so much that is wrong with this. Besides the fact that you missed out on the opportunity for a great storyline and a great bond between the two of them. This is just like the most misogynistic 90s thing that you could do.
0: Until Luis is underneath the lunch table, looking up the cheerleader's oh, skirts and breaking the fourth wall. It it was straight out of Animal House. It was a it was a Belushi look.
1: Luis, by the way, who still can't stop. Why? I now think he, he can't stop anymore. Why? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. He learned to stop. He had his moment. He scored the goal in the Goodwill Games, and now we have regressed. Not, not just regressed him. I mean, like, you have just completely yeeted this character all the way back. How did he get into the prep school not being able to skate?
0: I don't know. Why Why, why can't he stop now? Like, we he had his arc. He figured it out. He scored a big goal in the last game. In the last film, like, why why are we just reversing things unnecessarily? No,
1: and since you bothered to do it, why didn't we call attention to it? That would have been a great storyline for Varsity to be picking on him, who's got a crush on the cheerleader girlfriend, and it's like, well, you're here not because you're a good player, but you're here on the Duck's name. Then I would buy it that he starts getting bullied. Right. Right.
0: It would have made more sense. So much about this doesn't make sense. And and as we're going back and seeing more scenes in practice, what is with the Hanna-Barbera sound effects?
1: <laughs> it's so true. It's awful. It really, like, noticeably bad. The swooshes on the sticks and, ah, uh, it's, it's really bad.
0: What I think works here, though in building Orion as a likable character, is when he benches Charlie. Frankly, in this next practice, Charlie not wanting to learn defense, to me, warrants a benching. Because not only are you not trying to play the game properly, but Charlie, who are you to stand up to this coach in protest because he's not Gordon Bombay.
1: Well, again, this is what I'm talking about is that they've always been catered to. And in any other situation, whether it was as District 5 or in the Goodwill Games, you've rooted for these plucky kids, who's the underdogs who stood up to the guy, you know? So I think this needed to happen where Charlie finally gets called on it.
0: We also see Charlie start to interact with this girl, Linda, who hates him because he's a hockey player, because offbeat outcast uh, uh, scholars don't like athletes because movies say so.
1: What I will say, though, is that for a 14-year-old, Charlie got game. Hell yeah, he does. The banter is very, very good. Like, to me, this is where I was like, oh, this is why you were Pacey. Because there is just such a connection from here. Like, it was not a big leap going from here to Dawson's Creek. I I was kind of floored. I was like, okay, Charlie, I see you.
0: Yeah, maybe we can grab a Coke after the game. Um, or Or... Haven't you heard of the Anaheim Mighty Ducks? They named a pro team after us. That was the most horrific product placement that we have seen. And and that's including the second film where they came out wearing the jerseys with the NHL shield on them. It. I mean, it was, I I can't believe that was actually written into the film.
1: I can. Even it's from awful. Eisner, I can
0: the screenwriting just throughout this entire film is so bad it is just so bad time after time after time all right let's talk about their first game because that's naturally the next thing that happens charlie comes out he's not playing defense charlie's scoring the hell out of that out of the game he's scoring like crazy he can't not put the puck in the net. And inexplicably, the Ducks blow a nine goal lead in the third period because.
1: It was like watching the Islanders. It's not inexplainable.
0: <laughs> no, it's because. Things happen in this movie because.
1: Yeah, no, and especially because the coach, when they're up by that much, even he's starting to see this duck's magic, and you can tell the wheels are turning like, oh, should I just let them do their thing? He does seem to support it until they start getting sloppy and sort of let ego get in the way. What I take bigger issue with in this instance is they're supposed to be learning defense and. Clearly, they're doing a good job because Julie is standing in the goal singing songs about how bored she is. And I really don't buy that for her character arc because, if you remember, she left her team in Bangor, Maine to show the world what she can do. I didn't know that. So show them. This is your chance. And I don't buy that a goalie that talented is standing there not paying attention like that.
0: Or that she's going to let in five or six goals in a period.
1: Well, that's the other thing. I feel like they knocked her down to give Goldberg the I told you so moment, but he doesn't even have that yet.
0: I don't understand why in this moment the Ducks forget how to play hockey.
1: I mean, well, I will say this about Julie. I think part of it, and they don't spell it out enough, is that Goldberg has her putting on weight at this point. They're trying to show that her reaction time is slower but I still don't believe the boredom thing.
0: Also, Charlie was hooked. At the end of that game, going for the open net, Charlie is hooked. It's not even, it's not even like debatable. The blade of the the opposing player's stick is in his midsection, and he is brought down.
1: It's like when, uh, in the first one, when the kid's got the stick up under his helmet, and nobody calls anything for this poor kid. It's even worse here. It's even worse
0: here. There should have been a penalty, but again, we are now going to rewrite the rules of hockey to make the story work. I got nothing else. I don't know how many times I can say it. I have nothing else. Do you have anything else on this first game and this tremendous step backwards just because?
1: Well, they do make an attempt to try and move it forward, but they don't do enough with it because at this point, Russ, who has left South Central Los Angeles to come to Minnesota and play, uh, I like that they're trying to give him a bigger arc here because he keeps harping on, I need this scholarship, I need this scholarship, And he's sort of butting heads with Charlie because Charlie is putting that in jeopardy. And Charlie wants to, you know, die on the hill of the ducks. And Russ is pointing out that, like, this is what we are now. Don't do anything to put that in jeopardy. Right. But this is really other than Charlie and Fulton taking a stand, this is really the most conflict we get. I wish that we had, and and I think this would have made for a better story too, is that, okay, you guys kept it together. You're still playing all together, but it would have been really nice to lean into those individual interests. And that's where this team starts breaking down. And they have to learn that like, because they're all growing up, they're not always going to be the ducks. And, they still have to keep that on the ice and support each other in what they're doing off the ice. So you could have had Russ being so concerned about the scholarship, he's going to put that first. And I mean, I don't want to say not put the team first because you need the team to win, but like if he sort of starts internalizing everything and just focusing on his future, much like Banks does when he makes the jump to varsity that would have been a better, more natural conflict by just simply having these kids grow up and thinking about themselves.
0: Yeah. The conflict that we get is a conflict, though, between Charlie and Casey, of all people. Now we're going to give Casey some... uh, We're going to give her some juice in the movie, and you see Charlie get into an argument with her because she rightfully calls him out and saying that you don't want to play for Orion the same way you didn't want to play for Gordon and you're throwing your scholastic career away and your hockey career away. And he basically goes, eh, quack, and leaves. (laughs) That's basically what he does. You're not wrong. Why? You know, like, you really have an opportunity here to have a really dramatic scene because I think uh, Heidi Kling, I believe is her name, she- she's excellent in the scene. And we know Joshua Jackson can act, and they basically just have him storm out the door and run away like a petulant child.
1: Right, and this is where, especially because real life, if you are serious, a bla- a about playing hockey, you have to change your mentality at this point. You have to start thinking about your career because you are potentially four years away from being drafted into the NHL. It happens.
0: Yeah, and and, lest we forget, this is the same Charlie that about 15 minutes later is going to talk about going and playing junior hockey in canada with fulton so that he can get drafted into the nhl but in the last film this is the same charlie that said i always said although you never heard anybody say it i was a better coach than a player yes and gives up his spot in the championship game so that russ can stay after adam comes back from his injury where's that charlie Right. Where'd he go?
1: No, and this would have made for a much better conflict with his mom if he was really seriously starting to think about his future. And, you know, it was more of a, hey, thanks for showing up at my games and supporting me, but, like, I really have to start making these decisions now by yeah. myself.
0: Right. Like, the the thing that has always been so impressive about Charlie is how he has carried himself. Because he didn't have that paternal figure in his life, he was always the man of the house. Right. And he took everything very seriously. And Hockey, he took it seriously, but he always had what was for the best of the team in mind. In this film, he just wants what's best for Charlie. And there's no reason why any of that is explained.
1: I disagree, though. I think it's that he's not ready to face reality, and he is thinking of the team and only the team because he doesn't want anything to change. Quack.
0: Yeah, but he, but he's faced reality for the first two movies. He faced reality when he was trying to get Bombay to hook up with his mom. Right. It, th- th- we can't... There, no one can argue that this film is not a tremendous step back for Charlie in every fashion
1: how do you feel about him partaking in these prank wars with that mentality? Because we haven't really delved into that yet. And well, that they're is just
0: about the start. That's why. Well,
1: they're, they are cutting back and forth, but the first one really is the horse manure, which is a call back to when we first meet Charlie with the, um, the purse and yeah. the, the,
0: and the dog. Yeah.
1: yeah. So I'll, I'll, Buy that from him because it's sort of what they've always done. I do like the practical jokes uh, just to bring a little bit of comic relief in. And again, this is nothing out of the ordinary for the ducks. They've always done it. Be, be it the the person, the first one, the shaving cream in the dorms in the second one. Uh, I'll totally buy it. But what I don't buy, again, this is where you're, you're doing this to... Your schoolmates, you're all in the same school. I'd buy it more if it was opposing teams or opposing schools.
0: Well, this is part of the problem, right? They make the JV team, albeit their classmates, they almost make them out to be an opposing team right with everything that happens. And what starts the prank war is the savage scene at the Minnesota Club where varsity tells JV that they're taking them out for dinner because it's a tradition only to ditch them with the bill. And now the ducks have to stay back and wash dishes and scrub toilets to work off the $900 dinner bill. Which, which by the way, ages the film, a $900 dinner bill for 40 people eating surf and turf. Yeah, really. Uh, but I digress. How do I feel about him partaking? I go back and forth on it, because on the one hand, I can understand and respect the fact that he wants to get back at someone who pranked him. I get that. But when it comes to him standing up with the rest of the JV squad, he's made it so clear at this point that he doesn't want to be a warrior, that he doesn't want to play for Orion, that he only wants to be a duck that... I think they blur the line too much between him trying to avenge himself and him trying to avenge the team which has a rift in it because they're all fighting with Charlie up to this point uh, except when they need him. You know what I'm saying? Like the it, the whole thing is just very messy.
1: I I like that you use the word avenge. I think that's a really good observation. I think Surprisingly, one of the most successful things this film did was the way that they handled Banks in these prank wars. But they didn't necessarily lean in hard enough because yes. at the dinner, Banks apologizes and he's like, I had no idea what they were going to do until the last minute. And he makes sure to try and go back and smooth things over because, you know, he knows this is really going to hurt people that he genuinely cares about. So then when the Ducks retaliate and they do the liquid nitrogen in the locker room, they all stand there and question, what do we do about Banks' jersey? Do we, do we hurt him? And they do. So really, they're the ones who kind of start to destroy that relationship with him because he knew he was caught in the middle, but he wasn't choosing a side.
0: Correct he was sort of a victim of circumstance, which has kind of been like his entire character, right? Yeah. I, I called him last week Porcelain Banks, but he got knocked out of the game against the Hawks because he was cheap-shotted. He got knocked out of, you know, that whole game in the, in the Junior Goodwill games because he got cheap-shotted. Here, he's a part of this prank war where he inadvertently hurts the Ducks because no one ever really told him what was going on. Adam has always just kind of like, it, perfect. Here's a great analogy. You know when you, when you ever step like in dog waste in the backyard or like if you're on a walk and you don't realize that you did it mm-hmm. and you just track it all over the house and by the time you realize you've done it, it's too late? Yes. That's Adam Banks. <laughs> That's Adam Banks as an entire character in wow. these three films. Think about it.
1: No and that's what I'm saying. They they did a great setup here where he doesn't know what he's getting himself into and he doesn't want to hurt people he cares about, but they could have leaned into this more. This would have been a better conflict with Charlie. Yes. More than anything else, especially if they had Charlie cheap shot him.
0: Because Charlie was the one that gave up his spot on the roster to make sure that both he and Russ would play and Charlie was the one that tried to welcome Adam to the ducks in the first film and Jesse says no. Bingo. Yeah, but that would have like taken good screenwriting t- to like make that happen. Right. And uh, we had everything but in this film.
1: Speaking of terrible screenwriting, uh one of the few lines that Connie gets in The Same Breath, uh this is during the prank wars when they're ready to release the the ants. Uh she's with Guy who again They're off by themselves in the dark and he's still not doing anything. Uh, She calls him stupid for getting involved with these pranks. And then in the same breath is the one to radio in the call that the coast is clear and they should release the ants.
0: Yeah. Why? Yeah. During their Mission Impossible-esque. We went from Home Alone music in the first film to Mission Impossible knockoff music here.
1: I have to say I love the 90s wardrobe here. The, the small round glasses, the berets, all of it.
0: Yeah, the sunglasses at night because...
1: They all look like Posh Spice. It's wonderful.
0: Um, and, like, you knew this chaos would ensue, right? When they finally get together to play the varsity team in this showdown... Um, in the foggy ice rink at 6 o'clock in the morning because, of course, it's a foggy ice rink at 6 o'clock in the morning and it's just basically a bloodbath and the, and the varsity squad doesn't follow any of the rules of hockey, a game of which they care so much about. They're so serious about it, but they don't follow any of the damn rules. We all knew that this would happen when they faced off, right?
1: Right, and I like where it comes to a head with Coach Ryan because he makes them take off their jerseys and straight up tells Charlie it's time to grow up. I mean, that, that is like the whole, one of the themes in this film is that Charlie has to face these growing pains. So I like that he calls him out. Uh, and I like that Charlie takes the stand. And I, I like this bond that gets stronger with Fulton.
0: I like the fact that Fulton, of all people, is willing to fall on the quacker along with Charlie. <laughs> because it does it makes sense if you think about it in the first film yes. the ducks really don't come together until they have
1: fulton and when everybody else turns their back on bombay fulton stood by it because fulton had just gotten uh picked to be on the team right uh when gordon discovered the slap shot but he's like i can't skate uh, so he stands behind Charlie when everybody else walks because Peter tells them to.
0: Correct. So
1: at least that
0: carries over here. That I thought was very good. But now, th- them just skipping school in general to go cause trouble and kind of be hood
1: rats and... Oh, you had to get them all in.
0: Yeah, but it just seems uncharacteristic that... I mean, I know they hate the school in general but it just seems odd that their pushback is to just cut class also that fulton can say well i'm going back so that now we just create drama with charlie because
1: right and they're also missing a huge part of the scholarship is the grades so if you're not if you're cutting class it's not just that your grades are going to suffer they're going to be on you if they don't see you in class like how was that just glossed over. They should have made a much bigger deal of the consequences. I just
0: don't understand how Fulton skips school for the day with Charlie to protest this Eden Hall only to tell Charlie at the end of the day, I'm going back to Eden Hall. He basically knew the whole time he was going to go back.
1: But what I do appreciate is that he tells Charlie he might not want to play hockey forever. And again, that's where if this film had explored everyone's individual interests, it would have made for a much stronger story because it would have had Charlie questioning, can I still be friends with these people even if we're not always going to be a team? Like That's a lesson that you have to learn. Just because they're not on the ducks, it doesn't make them bad people. It doesn't mean that they're against you. It means that you have to love your friends through the choices that they make, even if you don't agree with them.
0: Right. Now, the day ends with... Charlie going to visit Hans one more time. And Charlie gets into an argument with Hans. And he storms off. And Hans, in the most blatant foreshadowing of all time, after the door is shut, says, goodbye, Charlie.
1: After he makes, like, the most awkward face-pointing gesture at him, there, there's, like, no final word from Hans with Charlie.
0: It's just goodbye.
1: It Charlie says something, and he, he kind of points as if to say, like, yes, bingo, you figured it out. But it's just such an awkward face that he's making. It's such an awkward hold as far as the edit on this pose that Hans is stuck in. Yeah. And then, then he says goodbye.
0: And then we get Charlie's mom telling him after Charlie's been missing all night
1: and then doesn't show up at home for her to drop this bomb. He goes to the diner and then she goes, Charlie, I've been, I've been waiting for you all night. Why are you waiting at work? Expecting your kid to be there.
0: To tell him that Hans has died. Ouch. I mean, you had to get Gordon back together with them somehow. And you needed the team to come together somehow and understand that they're more than just a hockey team, that they are a family, and that Hans played a tremendous role in that. But... I don't know, there's just, there's something odd about this whole thing because up to this point, Orion has not recognized that these are the um, gold medal winning uh, Americans from the Junior Goodwill Games. Um, I don't understand, I mean, I guess because he's not totally heartless and that'll get fleshed out in the next scene. It's just odd to me that... Out of nowhere, the, the team just has this bonding moment. Like, you had all of these opportunities to have a bonding moment. I, I understand why you would bond over Hans's death, but it kind of seems like they went to an extreme to bring the team back together.
1: Right, and you've just bonded over the prank war. It's really just Charlie and Fulton who stepped away. And the issue is with Charlie, but that's what I'm talking about. It would have been so much more effective if they were divided over their own individual interests. Because aside from Charlie walking, his team is still together. Right. So you know that he can go back to it almost any time he wants as long as the school doesn't hold it against him that he's missed a couple of classes. So I feel like you needed more of a rift with them. Not just, like, what team are we on? Not just, oh, we're not the Ducks anymore. It, it needed to be them butting heads on a more personal level. It did. And over three movies, you should have more of that bond with these people.
0: That's exactly my point. You articulated it better than I did. You've been together for three films, it's very sad that Hans passed away, but it seems like it's a stretch that you needed something like that to bring them together. It just seems like it's an extreme circumstance. Like, it should not have taken this much. That's my point.
1: See, I think it should have this much if they were really angry with each other.
0: But but you don't ever buy the fact that they are. Yes. Because they but, argue, and then exactly. five minutes later, they're
1: fine. Exactly, exactly. Not to mention they there is no help in this scene because the funeral is just so clunky gordon's late and yeah. i don't buy that it's because he's traveling for work no hans meant so much to him as did jan apparently um i i don't buy that he's showing up halfway through this funeral he brings the jersey to place on the casket and then makes Sort of a speech. It's not very long, but it's a speech for the team. It's not a eulogy. Yeah. So being that you're not their coach anymore and they don't need a pep talk, they don't need to be rallied at this moment, why not make this about your relationship with Hans?
0: Because instead we get the... We get that scene with Charlie... In the literal next scene.
1: That, that he doesn't remember who set his alarm clock. He wonders out loud, why is my alarm going off? It, ah, such bad writing. Such bad writing. It's such horrific
0: writing, but it's followed by what might be the best single scene in the entire trilogy.
1: It is so strong and so dramatic. And I mean that in a positive way. I'm not like, oh my God, it's so dramatic. No, it, it's, it's so powerful it's like where did it come from in this film? And even the way that they tie it to real life with the the stars moving to Dallas. I love that they threw that in there.
0: Yeah. And honestly like it's the be- this and I said it just now. It is not the best written scene in this putrid movie. It's the best written scene in the entire series. To the point where I almost wonder if they wrote this scene first and then tried to build a story around it.
1: I certainly think they did that for the character. We are, of course, talking about when it is revealed that Coach O'Ryan's daughter is wheelchair-bound from her accident.
0: And that Charlie is told by Gordon, you are the real Minnesota miracle man. That it wasn't really Gordon the entire time. Everybody says it's Gordon, but Gordon credits Charlie with, if, if it had not been for you, I would not have been a success. So, yeah. It's it's an incredible film and I or an incredible scene and I feel like they put all of their effort into writing this scene because everything else is so damn lazy that I can't understand how the same writers that wrote this scene wrote the rest of this movie.
1: I almost wonder if this is how the film was supposed to start where they were all in separate places and you did have this event that caused them to come back together
0: yeah I I'm I don't know I I honestly don't know
1: but I do agree with you it's a great scene between the two of them. The chemistry has always been there between Bombay and Conway. Um, it, it's always been well written for the characters. it's always been well executed by the actors. So I love that we do get the classic heart to heart between the two of them. And I think that because you have this, you totally could have eliminated the pep talk at the funeral. Um, here's where it gets clunky again. Uh, you know, basically Bombay encourages him. I don't know if it's a Saturday or if it's encouraging him. I think it is because of the alarm clock thing.
0: Or if if
1: they skipped school because yeah, then, um, We get another schoolyard puck scene where everybody's rollerblading. And clearly Gordon has organized this so that he could play with the team. I love that we get him back on skates and uh, playing with them. And this is where it's usually the point in the movie where Bombay laces up and he goes for a skate, be it on the pond or in Venice Beach, and he finds himself again. So now we have that paralleling Charlie's story and Charlie is going to find himself because this is what makes him decide that he would rather play with this team under whatever circumstances it is, even if it has to be as a warrior, even if it's not for the coach he wants to play for. He wants to be with this team. Okay, I will buy all of that. I feel like we are missing a scene Because I don't know why Orion just accepts him back with open arms. It makes no sense because Charlie has done nothing to earn it from Orion.
0: He's been nothing but disrespectful to Coach Orion. Like, I would have liked a scene where Gordon convinces Orion to give Charlie one more chance.
1: Exactly.
0: Because Gordon goes out of his way to tell Charlie that he was the one that rallied around Charlie and convinced Orion to give him a shot so I wish that we would have had something there you're right it just seems like something is missing because this disrespectful punk of a kid which is exactly what he has been up to this point in time is just accepted back for no rhyme or reason
1: no and Orion can't just go on Bombay's word in this case because he hasn't seen it for himself yet And yeah, if Charlie hadn't been so blatantly disrespectful, maybe you could take another chance on him. But there's too much water under the bridge between the two of them where Orion can't just go based on his name. So then, you know, this happens on a bus when they're about to go to an away game and Charlie's like, hey, can I come? And he's just like, yeah, sure. And then the dean also gets on the bus. Oh, no, the scholarships are gone.
0: Yeah, after like two lousy games, three lousy games in the middle of the season, we're pulling all of the scholarships because movie.
1: Not even budget, just movie. You're not even, you know, at the midway point of the semester. You're not at midterms. It going into a new calendar year for the school it just the timing makes no sense nor does it make sense to your point how orion goes to bat for the entire team when we've been spending so much time with charlie quacking we don't know how they're performing without him yeah and what they've done to earn orion's respect other than not walk
0: but bombay saves the day because these are legally binding contracts and I'll sue you and tie you up in litigation. And the board of directors goes, and yes, you know, like that's basically what I- for all of these, like it's like wh-
1: the Fidelity Fiduciary exactly. Bank, exactly.
0: For all of you, well to do snobs <laughs> that went, oh no, a contract, that pesky <laughs> thing. You know, like Gordon didn't do anything other than point out the obvious. How nobody else could have pointed that out. It's, again, stupidity, 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 stupidity.
1: No, but I love that they brought him full circle as a lawyer because this is what he didn't want to be. They made reference to it in D2, and he's like, I'm not that guy anymore, but he figured out a way to be both now. But so saying, even he gets a character arc in this but movie.
0: Nobody in nobody on that board of directors, nobody in the administration ever went, hey, you think that's illegal? Because that's exactly what it would have been.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, he's extorting them. Especially by throwing it in their face, you know why I'm a good lawyer? Because I got my education from you. Yeah. But I'll buy the notion of, like, we don't want to waste the time being tied up in court so let's just give them what they want but magically you found all this money and you only needed two yeses from this board yes
0: you needed two yes out of out of like the 40 people that are in the board (laughs) the entire cast is in this boardroom right now including linda why is linda in the boardroom the whole varsity team why are they all in there Why is the girl that Charlie is crushing on, although the feeling's not all that mutual, who hates athletics,
1: why is she in that board meeting? The only thing that was missing to really just bring this scene home was if they quacked walking out of that boardroom.
0: No, we get the quack in the next scene because Orion gives them their Ducks jerseys back. Why? there's just something... Why, though? I can can live... Well, because we need to see the jerseys because we have to sell them. I can live with the idea that he gives them the jerseys back because he's rallying around the idea that they're rallying around themselves, but he should have just accepted that from the start because, you know, they won a gold medalist Team USA. Um, as much as I like Orion, I cringe when he starts to quack.
1: Yes, no, that that's exa- That is reserved for Bombay. That baton does not get passed. No. Absolutely not. I don't buy any of this. Um, and then this unconventional practice with picking up the trash. This is a Gordon thing, right? With the eggs where they make a game out of it. He's never been for this, so why now? And why trash? Paper is not going to shoot into a net.
0: Because movie... Because movie.
1: It, it should have been another exercise that they had never done anything like before to prove that they will be loyal to him and his methods now.
0: If there's one thing they shouldn't have done, it's decide to make a trilogy. You should have just moved on. Now we get the varsity JV game, the much anticipated, even though they were ready to get rid of the whole JV team a much anticipated game um, that neither one of these teams are supposed to interact with each other. And now we've got this game Um, and Goldberg is on defense. It's the first time we're actually really seeing Goldberg on defense. We've heard that he's going to play defense, but now we're seeing it.
1: That's what I'm saying. You focus so much on Charlie. You lost what was going on with the team and they seeded this early on enough where, he doesn't want to be back up to Julie. He's going to make her gain weight. Again, the the I don't know how to skate. I have to learn to skate thing I don't buy for a second. But I do buy that, you know, he does want to have a bigger role. Same way in the first one. He was afraid of the puck and getting shot at. And Gordon figured out, you know, a, a way to, I mean, he tied him up so he can't move and and just made him get used to the idea of getting hit. So, I like that they had to try and, you know, knock down what they built for him in two films and f- have him figure out another way to contribute to this team. But being that it is such a big deal to him and he's learning a new position to play, it should have been a much bigger focus.
0: We also don't learn whose roster spot he took over. To play defense. Because he, now you're carrying seven defensemen and one goaltender, which you can't even do. You, you need to have a pack-up goalie, but you don't anymore. Because now he's playing defense.
1: You could maybe argue that because Banks made the jump, but Banks was but never Banks defense. Was a forward. He yeah. was a center. I know.
0: Like, here's the thing.
1: Ma- well, the, 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 Jesse, maybe? But we never find Oh, no, he's Jesse Portman. isn't a defenseman. Portman.
0: But Portman hasn't been there the whole time.
1: That's what I'm saying, he would have taken Portman's spot. We don't know he's coming back yet.
0: But he, but Portman hasn't been there since the start. So who's, oh. So I'm sa- you see what I'm saying? You're now carrying seven defensemen and one less goalie. Yeah. The problem yeah, yeah, is yeah. this this entire this entire final scene does nothing except just play with every single hockey rule. It plays with roster rules because then Portman comes back.
1: In the middle of a, in the third period, he just shows up with a quote unquote contract that he's just had lying around. I mean, I do love that he was the business in Chicago that Bombay had to go take care. I, I'm never going to complain that that they brought him back ever, but I just, I mean, it had to be scheduling conflict, right? Otherwise, why would you have written him into this movie? At this point,
0: well, if he was smart, he read the script and said <laughs> no. Uh, maybe that's what Jesse did.
1: No, but I mean, it's a shame that they didn't have him the whole time. Although I can't see where it would have made this this film any better. Or worse. I mean, I guess maybe it would have been too much of a conflict with Varsity because Varsity is the bully, and like you know, Portman never would have taken any of the crap that they dished out.
0: No, but he does dish out the most ridiculous, stylized. Hockey hit that I've ever seen in any hockey movie, and that includes Slapshot, <laughs> where he sends somebody headfirst through the glass.
1: Seriously, those skates would have torn up the first two rows that were sitting there.
0: It that was, should
1: have been a bloodbath.
0: It was ridiculous. This game, in general, just in terms of like pure hockey, and and this includes the Pee Wee games. This is the worst hockey. In any of the three films. This is supposed to be the climax game of a trilogy, and it's the worst game of any film.
1: I also almost skipped over the worst line of the whole movie. Oh, yeah? When they get Portman back, and Orion's all happy about it, Charlie like kind of gives him a nudge, and he's like, Bombay. The answer to all of our problems. He doesn't say the answer to all of our problems, but that's like the nature of the delivery. But it's like, shouldn't Orion be so offended that Charlie is crediting Bombay for everything? Like, he's never going to respect you as a coach. This just proves it. Never. You're getting along. It's all smiles, which have, again, not been earned between the two of them. But he is still, Charlie is just hung up on his ex and he's never going to get over it.
0: And then Portman strips in the penalty box. It's This is from Slapshot. It's from Slapshot. This is Ned Braden all over again.
1: I buy it, though. I buy it from this character.
0: But it, but it doesn't matter if you buy it from the character. This would be like at the end of Lilo and Stitch if Stitch looked at Lilo as he's getting on the ship and goes, E.T., phone home. <laughs> like... It's literally the same exact thing that you've done in another hockey film. How lazy can you be? And it's not like it's a B-list hockey film that nobody has seen. It's from Slapshot. Every hockey fan bases their hockey film list around Slapshot. There's never been one better and there never will be. How do you take something from that kind of film Right. It's, it's it's the purest form of laziness. The
1: other issue is that, I mean, Adam Lore was clearly older playing a teenager. He's supposed to be a freshman in high school. You have a freshman stripping and dancing in the penalty box. I mean, it's not like he took his pants off. So what? He takes the shirt off. Not a big deal. But like, isn't that grounds for being kicked out of school? The one that you just got accepted to? You would think.
0: You would think. And then he's fully dressed again. But uh, do you you have any other notes on this film?
1: Not really, because the ending codas are all so rushed. Like, you get Luis, uh, who didn't learn to stop again, uh, gets the cheerleader. Uh, Charlie gets Linda. They're going to go for their coke eventually. Um, And you get a really... I don't even know if you can call this a coda Because there is no wrap up with Bombay He just walks off into a distance You didn't even give him the celebration on the ice Even though he's there Not with Charlie's mom mind you
0: Yeah Just walks off into the sunset Speaking of
1: Charlie's mom Oh my gosh Uh, I didn't write it down because lord knows I have enough notes But every time they cut to her Did you notice the gross overacting By the other extras surrounding her Yes. It is incredibly distracting.
0: Yeah. Um okay. So uh, not for anything, but like I'm looking over the cast list. There's really only like one character worth talking about because he's the only like new character that actually has a billing. Oh, you've got two. I was
1: going to say two. I'm going to start. Michael Cudlitz, man. Walking Dead. Come on. I was I saw his name in the credits and I was like Is it the same? Like, there's not that many Michael Cutlets. It's got to be him, right? And to my delight, it sure was. He has not changed a bit. He looks exactly the same. But um, I'm not going to say he was a scene stealer because it was still a very, very small part. Uh, But he made a good bully.
0: He did. And Jeffrey Nordling plays Ted O'Ryan, Coach Ted O'Ryan, um, I like Orion. I like him as a foil to Charlie. I like him as being somebody that you're kind of forced to root for. I like him as a character that you kind of feel wrong for rooting for him. Like, I like his backstory. I like everything about him. It's a shame that he's buried in this piece of garbage movie.
1: I agree, but the one thing... I really bump on where all of those good qualities, I I can't even say like, Oh, it redeems it is because there is nothing earned between him and Charlie. Bombay shows Charlie how to Bombay helps Charlie figure it out. And then because we see that Orion accepts it, But there's no interaction between the two characters where he should have just forgiven Charlie so quickly. And I shouldn't tear the entire character down because it's really not necessarily his fault, but you you need to give him that moment.
0: And he never gets it.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Instead, he gets knocked down again when Portman comes back, and it's like, Pompey.
0: Um, Do you really need our final thoughts? Uh, I mean, this movie is by far the worst in the in the trilogy. Um, this is one of the worst sequels all around that we've ever reviewed for Monoreal Radio. Mm. Um, and oddly enough, it is not the worst thing that has come from the Mighty Ducks franchise.
1: Ooh. And that
0: says an awful lot. But that's how I feel about
1: it. Um, It's just amazing how they made such a Good sequel, a great sequel in the second film.
0: One of the greatest sequels of all time.
1: And couldn't even make a mediocre sequel to end the trilogy. It's heartbreaking for me, honestly, because as much as I was so excited to have another go around with these characters and not just the ones that we've grown up with from District 5, I'm talking about I was so happy to have Team USA back that they didn't just leave those characters in the dust and we got to try and develop them a little bit more. Um, They just missed the mark on all of it. Um, I said it several times and I will die on this hill. This film would have benefited so much from a time jump. If they had put them at junior year of high school where they really do start having to think about their futures and come to terms with the fact that they're not always going to play hockey together. It would have taken this film so much farther, but I get it because of the age of the actors, you couldn't necessarily wait that long. Well, but you probably could have done it because most of these kids are older playing 14 years old. So I think I would have bought just, you know, on the physicality of it, I think I would have bought that they were 16, 17. I think they could have passed it off. Um, But clearly, they were trying to capitalize on the popularity of the film, the popularity of the team. Um, And this fell victim to being a cash grab, which is unfortunate because they made two incredible movies.
0: It's the worst thing to happen to Paul Correa in his career, and that includes Scott Stevens. But we want to know what you have to say about... (laughs) D3. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up, but first, a quick break. Hey guys, my name is Mike. I listen to Jackie and Sean's podcast every week on my commute into work. So I reached out to Jackie and she helped me put together the perfect getaway. I did a four-night Disney cruise ship, and she was able to answer every question that I threw at her. She put together the perfect dates and an insurance plan that made the whole experience stress-free. She was able to help me with little tips and tricks like you can get a Mickey Mouse bar delivered to you any time of the day. And I think that was a mistake because now I put about 10, 15 pounds on. I'll definitely be using Jackie again in the future. Thanks for everything. So
1: if you are interested in completely free assistance planning your Disney vacation, you can visit magicalvacationplanner.com and request me as your travel planner. Uh, you can also email me directly at j.zelezi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. Hi, this is Kelly from Karma and Kismet, your official Monorail News Sponsor and I am very excited to throw it over to Sean and Jackie to talk all about the Disney news but before I do that, I want to make sure that I share with you guys where you can check out all of my Disney-inspired art at KarmaandKismetDesigns.com.
0: And listeners of the show get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout to see everything that Kelly has to offer and all of her services. It's online at Karma and kismetdesigns.com that's karma the letter n kismetdesigns.com news this week mostly parks related the pass holder entry um, at the magic kingdom the entrance that is meant specifically for pass holders has returned i was frankly surprised because i remember they used to have it when we went to uh not so scary a couple of weeks ago um they didn't have it up. I just assumed that's because we had a specified entrance for the event. Um, but I think it's good that you have that entrance opening again for the APs because, frankly, and its I don't want to sound like a snobby AP because we've been APs for all of four months at this point, but even as a Disney regular that would come once or twice a year, you kind of always wished like there was like the advanced line and the novice line. It's like no, like I need the line for people that come here all the time. I got my magic band on. I got my app ready to go. I got all my dining and all of my events like linked up. Just get out of A my free way.
1: Free Get out so of that you my can way. Scan in. Yeah. Yes.
0: Um, so I, for the APs, for us selfishly, but for the rest of the APs, that it it's it's more normal to go, and you kind of like. You know how to do it. You know how to get in quickly. I'm kind of happy to see that we're getting a more expedited process.
1: Uh, Not the AP news that I wanted, but it is the AP news we got, and I hope that they're putting the cart before the horse on this one.
0: We also got an announcement this week, the official announcement, that Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind at Epcot is getting a holiday overlay I'm thinking Wham! I'm thinking The Waitresses! I'm thinking God Help Us, Mariah Carey! They (laughs) haven't said the songs yet, though I would imagine that those are at least three that are getting mixed in. Um, And it sounds like it's going to start when the International Festival of the Holidays begins on November 25th. I think it's as such... You have monsters after dark or whatever it is that they call it over at um dca with mission breakout i love that they're doing this with cosmic rewind
1: and you loved when they did it uh i didn't go on but space mountain when they had uh elo was Uh, it Mannheim steamroller that's it yes i was close um i was
0: playing over at universal actually multiple nights for the holidays this year
1: oh we might have to go check that out yeah um Yeah, that's that's cool. I love when they do the holiday overlay. And it it can just be something as simple as changing the music that makes a huge difference. Because we didn't even realize they were doing it on Space Mountain until we were on the People Mover. And we heard the music and we saw the lights and you were like, I got to get on this. Um, I can tell you right now, though, if Mariah Carey is one of those songs, you're not going to make a strong case for me getting on that ride a second time.
0: Well, I want to experience it. I bet you it would be fun as hell. Because like there are they've changed the script too. Like everything about it is oh, changing okay. to match the overlay.
1: Idina has a Christmas album.
0: I, I I'm, I'm very excited. I'm very excited.
1: No, it's going to be cool.
0: And we want to hear what you have to say about it. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget to follow us on that social media, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Monoreal Radio. You can also like, subscribe, and rate us on Verbal or your podcast platform of choice. That way you are notified when a new episode comes out. Um, And for links to everything related to the show, it is always online at monorealradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.